Good morning, everyone. Still morning, yes. Did everyone enjoy our weather the last couple of days? Was it, we said winter was coming back, right? Yeah, Ethan, good, I love the weather. Yeah, winter's coming back, so, okay. Some of us have the pleasure of being able to travel out of Ohio. We're going to Virginia, Melissa and I are leaving this evening, or actually late this afternoon, and we'll be back till Saturday night, so praise the Lord. Before we pray, I just wanted to say, um, two weeks ago, um, an ish- a challenge was issued, right? A challenge was issued to read, to go through Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, and by up till Friday, this past Friday, it would have been read four times. So for those of you that did that, and no show of hands or anything like that, those of you who did that, praise the Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit used that. It spurred you and us uh, along to dive deeper into his word, to know him more, and how does he want us to live? That's something that I had thought about a lot this week in preparation for the poor in spirit. So today we're only going to focus, if you want to turn your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 5, and then we're only going to be for our text in verse 3. I'll read that real quick, and then we'll... Keep moving in prayer. prayer. Matthew 5, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this grand and glorious day that you've given us. Lord, if there was a foot of snow outside or it was 70 degrees and sunny and warm, it is still a grand and glorious day. For, Lord, you've given us breath to live our lives for you on this earth. We commit this time, Lord. May your Holy Spirit minister to each and every one of us as we we go through Matthew 5 and as this study continues. Lord, we look to you as our teacher, as our comforter, as our guide. And we pray, Lord, that you would be among us today. And we thank you. You are among us today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. So last week, I, I didn't have it written down, but I, I mentioned this verse by Dean Taylor. Dean Taylor is the former president of Sattler College. It's an Anabaptist college in Massachusetts. I know you think Anabaptists in Massachusetts, but yeah, there actually are some. So, but um, I, I did it off of memory. So when I went back and looked at the quote, I thought, eh, it, the meaning's the same, but I wanted to officially put it on the board. But it makes us pause for a moment. What if Jesus meant every word he said? And two weeks ago kind of touched on that. And as those of you who have a red-letter edition uh, Bible, you're looking at it right now if you're looking on an electronic device, and it doesn't have to be red-letter, but where you see the red letters, whose words are those? We know. It's, thank you. It's Jesus. Who is Jesus? The Messiah. The Christ the second person in the Trinity, a member of the Godhead. It is God's word, Jesus' words, specifically for us. So, do we actually think that Jesus said something, something, or the words of Jesus are flippant? 
He, Jesus used humor, like I use bad humor. Of course, you've all have heard it from up here. Did, did Jesus do that? Did he say something? He, did, he didn't really mean it. It was just, it's a great idea. If you guys can live like this, great. We would all look at that today and we would go, oh, that's not true. And that's correct. It is not true. So yes, he meant every, every word he said. So I want to tell you a quick story. Story, or some of you may, may say, ah, that's not really a story. It's more of an observation. So I was catching Mike uh, earlier in between Sunday school and service um, up on something. I was in Wisconsin all of last week. I drove up on Monday. Supposed to get back late Friday. Okay, so, and I, I drove. I didn't fly up or anything like that. And I saw that the weather was going to turn bad. And so I got up super early on Thursday morning, around 5 a.m. Central Time, uh, packed my bags, got everything ready, had breakfast at the hotel, went to my office in, in Wisconsin, and I did my job, conference calls, the usual stuff, all the things that we do. And then I thought, well, I packed my bags. I'm still checked in for, for tonight, but I don't want to deal with a snowstorm because I saw that the snow was going to go through like Iowa into Illinois, into Indiana, and I'm taking 39 to 74 to Indy, 70 to Columbus, and of course 33 down here. So I said, I'm just going to bite the bullet and drive all night. And that's what I did. And it was a great drive. The weather was phenomenal because I beat the storm, thankfully. That's a nine to 10 hour drive if you stop for lunch and things like that, maybe nine, um, nine to 10, I guess. And so I had a lot of time to myself. And I had a lot of time to think about this and think about this today, this morning's sermon, this morning's message. And I had my uh, phone hooked to the truck and I was listening to Spotify and I was listening to some favorites. It wasn't uh, any sets playlist or anything. And the song came on and the song is by a band called Leland. And then there's a a accompaniment by Thrive Worship. Not familiar with Thrive Worship, but I've known Leland for quite a while. And the song is called Speak to Me. I love the song. I've heard it before. It's saved on the phone, actually. As I was listening to it, and as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the quote that we just saw on the screen. In the song, the title, Speak to Me, the words, Speak to Me, are sung 30 times. And I thought, "That's, that's a lot. So it seemed to me as a plea a plea, maybe out of desperation or maybe out of just sheer need. Everybody is at different points. We are all at different points in our lives and in our walk with the Lord. And so if we pray to the Lord, speak to me, Lord, everybody's coming at it from a little bit of a different angle based off their life experiences and what they're dealing with at that time. So I, as I was worshiping the Lord in the truck, driving home, middle of the night, I thought, that's kind of a plea of desperation. And then I had a thought. If it's a plea of desperation for the Lord to speak, and there's some other lyrics in there about showing, show me what to do. And we're not going to play the song, so we're not going to do that. And I thought, Lord, thank you. Matthew 5. It's in red. Speak to me, Lord. He's spoken to us. 
Amen? What am I supposed to do? Well, just read verses 3 through 10. Live that, and I think you're getting along. You're doing well. Amen? So I thought I kind of took this worship song that I actually love, and if you want to listen to it, just get out on however you listen to music online, and you'll find it. And he's, he's already done that. I don't have to plead with him to speak to me. Yeah, he's speaking all the time. It's, it's the dumb gem that gets in the way of hearing, right? And I'm not to offend, it's the dumb you, the dumb me. We get in the way. We get preoccupied with all these other things in this course of life and our walk in this world, and it interrupts. It breaks that connection. So just something, a little story from my, my drive back from Wisconsin. Again, he meant every word he said, and this is God's word, God's very word. If you go back in the Old Testament, and it's quoting, it's quoting the Lord God in those parts. Speaking from Zion, we talked about that a little bit in Sunday school today. Thank you, Daniel. But when we get to the Gospels, it's in red. It's his very word to us. So let's go ahead. Grab your Bibles again. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 for context, but we're only going to focus on verse 3. That's the focus. Matthew 5, verse, chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And he, when he was seated with his, uh, when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the last two verses, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall, excuse me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a big question here. There's been a debate about this over the centuries and centuries and centuries. Who are the poor in spirit? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Who are the poor in spirit? And I apologize, but the slideshow is over. It's all me working off my notes. So, but keep your Bibles handy because we're going to quote quite a bit. So, who are the poor in spirit? One camp would say, these are the financially poor. Are they? 
So I thought what we'd do is let's look at another well-known sermon by Jesus, and everybody can turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 6, and verse 20. This is known as, the again, I mentioned it, the Sermon on the Plain. If we were to go back further in Luke 6, we would see that they went to a flat place, or a some versions might say a plain or a plateau. So that's where it's differentiated from Matthew chapter 5, where we see they went up to a mountain top. So these, these messages are so similar to each other, but Luke 6.20 to Luke, or excuse me, to Matthew 5.3, they're very similar, but there are two words added that change the whole meaning. Let's look into that. Luke 6.20 says, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. What two words? I would, thank you. Matthew 5 says, in spirit. So in this sermon, Sermon on the Plain, he said that the blessed, if we just read it, just by looking at it, not even digging into Greek, not looking at any of that, in this sermon, he it sounds like, and people would, would, would tell you, theologians would even say this, that Jesus said that, that the blessed are the poor, just the poor. It doesn't say in spirit, right, in Luke 6. The poor are blessed, not the poor in spirit. Could that be because in Christian history, so let's think back Christian history. Daniel, thank you. Daniel quoted from two church fathers, Athanasius and Basil. Those of you who have heard messages that I've done in Sunday school, I love quoting the first three to four hundred years of the church. I wrangled Mike to read a book on the, the early church, and he's almost done with it. I haven't even started it. Sorry. I'll get there. I got three million other books I'm working on. So all that said, Daniel, thank you. Athanasius and Basil. And we're going to look at that today. But why do we look at the, the early church? Why do we look at what they wrote? Some of those, those church leaders, those first three, four hundred years, prolific writers. And we have just about everything they wrote. Those records exist today. You can find it. It's open source. It was written a long time ago. Nobody's got a copyright on it. You can find it online for free and go in and look at all these writings or you can buy it in book form. It's called the Anti-Nicene Fathers. The hardback will cost you about $2,500 because it's 10 volumes. Or you can get the paperback for $250. It's a deal. <laughs> that's the way to go. And that's those Amazon prices, I believe. But why do we look at those people? Let's look at it this way. If, let's say I use a, a famous, the, I'm not going to say a name. Think of a, in your own mind, think of a famous theologian or pastor that you would see on TV, you would hear on the radio, that you would say, I like listening to that pastor. He, he presents the word very well. Do we have him in, in mind? How many generations is he removed from the actual Jesus Christ who walked on the face of the earth? 2,000 years, give or take. So the church fathers that we look at, like Daniel, not the book of Daniel, but Daniel Bender, Athanasius and Basil, how far were they from Jesus? Two or three generations. How about Justin Martyr, who I, I'm not sure if we have a quote from him today, but I have a book here, but Justin Martyr, 
let's think about this. You have Jesus, and the Apostle John sat under Jesus, right? Who sat under John? Polycarp. His writings are out there. If you really want to get a good feeling of what Jesus really thought and what he wrote, pick up Polycarp. He's one person removed from sitting and interacting with Jesus. Who did Polycarp directly influence? Some of the people we're going to read today. So the early church father writings are not gospel. They're not canon, but they inform us of the worldview of when that word was written and the people who wrote it, what their thinking was, and what they saw in their world. Let's say it that way. Go to the source as far back as you can to get the original intent and the original meaning. And that's why we look at it. So we'll look at some of that in this message. So back to this. In the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus said that the blessed are the poor. He doesn't say poor in spirit, as as he said in Matthew chapter 5. Could it be, and some theologians believe this, but could it be because in Christian history, most Christians have come from the ranks of the poor? Do you believe that? I 100% believe that. James chapter 2, verse 5 says this. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? I didn't look up the Greek for that word poor, but I think I can figure that out. Is it talking about the financially poor or is it talking about the depraved? Is it talking about mankind lost without Christ? There's a condition there. What's the condition at the very last part? Listen listen to this, the last part. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Here it is. Which he promised to those who love him. Is that conditional? Sounds kind of conditional to me. Um, I heard a man of God recently I'm going to quote him. Maybe some of you might know him personally. I don't know. He said this. Is it fair? I wrote this down. Is it fair to say that there are conditions to God's blessing? Anybody know who said that? That was a quote from Sunday school this morning from Daniel. (laughs) He added something on the end of that too, but I cut it right there. Is it fair to say that there are conditions to God's blessing. Daniel went on to say, there aren't conditions to God's love. Amen. Are there conditions to God's blessing? Looking at James chapter 2, verse 5, the heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. In Luke chapter 4, I think some of you are close by. You can flip over chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus was preaching in the synagogue at Nazareth. And he quoted from the book of Isaiah. So I'm quoting Jesus, but Jesus is quoting the book of Isaiah. Luke 4:18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor or the poor in spirit. To the poor. Again, we can go back and parse. Does it mean financially poor? Does it mean destitute? What does that word mean? And we'll expound on that as we go. 
we all agree, we should all agree, let's say it that way, that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom to everyone, everyone, no matter what their socioeconomic status was, if socioeconomic was even a word that they used back then. It didn't matter to Jesus. We see examples throughout the gospels of Jesus speaking to rich, tax collectors, Matthew, right? Um, the poor. I don't know how much of a middle class there was then. He spoke to the centurion, an official of the military of the Roman occupation, if you want to look at it like that, or the, the Roman government, governmental system. He spoke to anyone, right? It didn't matter to him. But the facts, when you see, and we're going to look at verses to show this, when you look at it, the poor more willingly believed his message than the rich. And when I say rich, I mean the financially rich. Early church father Lactantius, Lactantius around 300 AD, not far removed from Jesus, he was, his ministry was based uh, in the current area of Tunisia and Morocco, and he ministered to the Berber people, which let me think of you two. That's where Lactantius was on that Berber coast of North Africa. He said this, The poor and humble who are unencumbered, parentheses, my words, not worried with cares or responsibilities. Is there anyone here in this sanctuary today, if you think of your life and I think of my life, are we totally unencumbered? I'm not. I'm not. I continue. The poor and humble who are unencumbered more readily believe God than the rich who are entangled with many hindrances. And that was Lactantius. Jesus in Matthew 19, verses 23 and 24, said this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, here's the quote, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So I have a question. Based on what we've read, what you've heard, is there any hope for people who are not financially poor to see the kingdom of heaven? Okay. I think you all know the answer that there is. It's, it's a question. Going back to our text in Matthew 5.3, again, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we take a look at those early First 300 years. The church fathers wrote a lot on this subject. Who are the poor in spirit? Do the research. You'll see a lot of stuff. I just have just a, a couple of quotes, not much. They are pretty much all unified. When I say unified, I'm talking about church fathers who live in Gaul. That's southern France. We just looked at um, Lactantius, who was on the North African coast. We can look at Origen, who was in Alexandria and Caesarea. We can look at 
um, Justin Martyr, who was based in Rome. We can look at Mark Felix, who was based in Rome. Different cultures throughout the Roman Empire, but they were unified on this question of poor in spirit or just poor. So when we look at them, they're unified on two types of situations. What does this mean, poor in spirit? Number one, they saw it as the humble in spirit. Number two, they saw it as those who voluntarily embrace poverty for spiritual reasons. Again, number one, humble, humbleness. Uh, old Anabaptist term, galassenheit, yieldedness, just yielded, given over to. And number two, those who voluntarily embrace poverty for spiritual reasons. So basically, happen to have one of these in my pocket, I guess. The mighty, right? You fold it so it comes out right. The mighty dollar. What is it? Yeah, thank you. It's a piece of paper, right? What's the value of this piece of paper? One dollar. That's the value in the world system today. But how much is this piece of paper worth? Not what it represents, but the actual piece of paper. Thank you. I could rip this right now, and it's just a piece of paper. I could probably tape it back up, and maybe at uh, somewhere they'll take it. But it's what it represents. It's not what it is. This isn't gold. We don't have a gold-backed system anymore. This is just a piece of paper, a federal note. It's a promissory note that if I want to go buy something for a dollar, if I give them that piece of paper, they will give me the product that I want to use this dollar for. This dollar, this is not political, what I'm going to say. This dollar, its value is going like this. It's called inflation, okay? The paper, the value of the actual paper itself, that's probably changed a little bit, but not much, how much it costs to make this piece of paper. But what it represents is in decline because it's losing its world reserve currency status. So did Jesus say that only those who don't have this, theirs is the kingdom? Or is this even matter if you have the kingdom or don't have the kingdom. So we know this means nothing when it comes to the kingdom. Nothing at all. Now, those who have a lot of these, God is watching. He's watching how this is used. And those who have few, he's watching as well. So we all need to heed that lesson, definitely. So when we saw the early church fathers and we saw those two points that they're unified on, who are the poor in spirit? It's those who are humble and those who voluntarily embrace poverty for spiritual reasons. And they based, because I saw their quotes and they looked back to a verse in the Old Testament and it was your congregational reading today. That's why I put it up there. But if you look at your bulletin right now, you'll see Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do what? Three things. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
And that's what those early church fathers, a lot of them went back to Micah 6.8 to say they're the humble in spirit because they walk humbly with their God because that is what the, the Lord is looking at. He's not looking. He knows about this, but he doesn't base it on that, if you have a lot of those or not. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, it says, and this is the Lord speaking, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you built me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist. And lastly, thus, or excuse me, says the Lord, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Wow. Think about that for a moment. Has man ever built a house for the Lord? Yes, a temporary house. A tabernacle was built in the wilderness. A temple was built in Jerusalem. But according to this, the earth is his footstool. Where's the house that people built him? Where is his rest? It says all those things his hand has made. But who is he looking at? Is he looking for people who are building him a house? We can look at, yes, he spoke with David and Solomon fulfilled that. We can look at that. But today, in the 21st century, is he so fixated on us or other churches building him a house and pouring our time and our resources into building him this grandiose house? The earth is his footstool. Think about that for a moment. But what is he looking at? On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Church father Archelaus, he was a Christian bishop in the third century. Here's his thoughts on it. Jesus did not refer to those who are simply poor in worldly substance, but to those who are poor in spirit. That is to say, who are not inflamed with pride, but have the gentle and lowly character of humility, not thinking more of themselves than they ought. I think Archelaus summed it up really, really well there. Archelaus in his writings did not quote Romans 12.3, but I believe he had this in mind when he wrote that. This is Romans 12.3. For I say... Though the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. John Chrysostom, he was one of the most prolific writers in the first 300 years. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople. He wrote this about poor in spirit. What is meant by the poor in spirit? The humble and contrite mind. He blesses those who are humble by choice and who lower themselves. Amen? Who lower themselves. The next one. 
Origen. Origen is from Alexandria. Uh, of course, that's on the Egyptian coast, on the Mediterranean. Uh, Origen then, Origen grew up in a Christian family. Let's say it that way. So his parents were Christians. And he was from the late 100s to the early 200s. So his parents predated, I don't know, if, if the parents actually had interactions with Polycarp and some of those who sat under John or some of the other apostles, don't know. But Origen, I think when he was around eight years old, there was an edict that came from Rome that if anybody was a Christian, they were to be killed. But it primarily applied to Roman citizens, and he was not actually born a Roman citizen, even though he lived in, in Egypt at the time. But Origen... His dad actually was put in prison and assassinated. He was executed, that's the word. His dad was executed for his faith. His mom raised him, and then as an early man, a young man, he moved to, and the Romans called it Palestine, land of Israel. He moved there, and he started a school to train Christians. I think it's one of the first Christian official Bible school, I can't call it Bible schools, but the first Christian school in the land of Israel, and it was meant not so much to proselytize Jews, it was meant for others who were there. And so that's origin, and he became a church father, wrote a lot, but this is what he said. Those who have been obedient to the word of God and have henceforth by their obedience shown themselves capable of wisdom, are said to deserve the kingdom of heaven. So I think we're done with the first 300 years. But let's fast forward to the 1500s. Okay, Let's move a lot, a lot forward. And we're going to look at every Anabaptist friend, John Calvin. So that was a joke, bad joke, apparently. John Calvin, I think, now, now we're looking at a, a, a I'm going to say a more modern view compared to 200, 1500s is a pretty modern view. But if we look back at the 1500s and we look at the 2000s, it might sound old, but listen to this. And we're almost done. John Calvin, early 1500s. This is long, so I apologize. Others explain the poor in spirit to be those who claim nothing for themselves and are so completely emptied of confidence in the flesh that they acknowledge their poverty. I'm going to interject there. Poverty meaning poverty in spirit, not necessarily poverty of, of this, of money. But as the words of Luke and those of Matthew must have the same meaning, there can be no doubt that the word poor is here given to those who are pressed and afflicted by adversity. The only difference is that Matthew, by adding the words in spirit, confines the happiness only to those who, under the discipline of the cross, have learned to be humble. So I would think that I would say that when John Calvin read the Beatitudes and verse 3, and he read, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He was thinking about those who have endured discipline or the discipline of the cross and have learned to be humble. So, back to our question. Who are the poor in spirit? Different viewpoints. Those who are just financially poor. 
that's probably where the social gospel came out of and things like the social gospel movement. Just a guess. It just popped in the head. Those who are of a humble and contrite spirit. Okay. What say you, of course? What do we say? I think we have a better understanding of what Jesus said. So we saw what Jesus said. And then we fast forwarded just a couple of generations and we saw what those who by extension of a couple to three generations, what they said. And then we went to, to the year 1500, early 1500s, and we saw what a renowned theologian said then in John Calvin. But what about, so let's go to where we are today. I think I've shown you this book, We Don't Speak Great Things, We Live Them. I'm going to quote um, Christian historian, author, and publisher David Berceau. To the early Christian, trusting God meant more than a teary-eyed testimony about the time I came to the Lord. It meant believing that if obedience to God entailed great suffering, God was trustworthy to bring a person through it. For the early Christians, to claim to trust God while refusing to obey him was a contradiction. And they didn't feel they had to understand the reason for a commandment before they would obey it. In our age of easy believism, the lives of the early Christians should challenge us to move beyond mere verbal Christianity to a living, obedient relationship with God. Look at verse 3 again. If you have it in front of you, I want to read verse 3 in the inverse. Just to explain, the inverse is looking at it. If I just flipped it around, it's like if A equals B, the inverse is if A, if not A, if A then B, the inverse is if not A then not B. That's what the inverse is. Get that straight. I'm going to read it to you in the inverse. So look at it. Cursed are the haughty in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of hell. That opened the eyes? I didn't say cursed are the rich, because I think we see clearly this is not speaking about those who are financially rich, whatever that means. Every culture, it means different. We could go to different parts of the world and everybody in here, we are super rich. We're the 1% that the socialists want to get rid of. If you're looking at it from a different country, different socioeconomic conditions. We have cell phones. We have computers. We have cars. We're rich compared to the rest of the world. The inverse. Cursed are the haughty in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of hell. So I say rejoice. Turkey run. All of us rejoice. The poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of heaven. So this message, and we're closing, this message should ask us one important question. Now the question we've been asking is, who are, who are the poor in spirit? But this question should ask us an important question. Not who are the poor in spirit, but are we the poor in spirit? Are you the poor in spirit? Am I the poor in spirit? 
Are we broken before him? Are we contrite? Are we humble? Do we lower ourselves, as some of the quotes that, that we've read and mentioned? Think on that for a second. The very word of God is challenging us. And what is our response? Introspection should be our, our, our response. Look into our hearts. Look into our minds. I have a challenge. All of us, if we determine, if you determine, if I determine that we are not the poor in spirit, or we are not poor in spirit as we should be. What do we do? The challenge is, after this service, we're just going to open the front up. If anybody desires prayer, for whatever the reason is, it doesn't matter. But if we look into our hearts and we do not see what we see here, we do not see, we have read four times through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If we do not see ourselves in that, I would venture to say we're struggling with being poor in spirit. So I'm challenging all of us this morning to be poor in spirit. If we're not, the front is open. Elders can come up. Pastors will be up here as well. And I challenge you and me as well. I had my time on the floor with God over this. I really did. Follow the Holy Spirit. Let's stand. Let's pray, and then Marvin will lead us in the doxology, and everyone is dismissed. And if anyone desires prayer, please, please respond. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, that prods and pricks and digs into our heart, into our intentions, Lord, into the facade that we put to make ourselves look better than we are. Forgive us. Wash us clean this very moment, Lord. We thank you for your presence, your Holy Spirit. Lord, you will that none perish. We thank you for your work in this body that you've put together. Lord, this is your body. This is not Mike's body, my body, the elder's body, the lay leader's body. Lord, this is your body, and you desire that this body is healthy. Help us, Lord, to look deep into our hearts, into our intentions, into our motives, that we may stand before you. Lord, that we may be poor in spirit, contrite, 
humble, and ours is the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Marvin.